So John chapter 8. Our series is Water and Light. And that kind of coming from a couple of the most obvious illustrations at the Feast of Booths that Jesus is in in this time. And you recall last week we had a long discussion about uh, the nature of Scripture and the preservation of it and the inclusion of certain texts into Scripture. And um, that became very important to us as we considered John 7, 53 through 8, 11. Um, so an interesting thing to note just before we read at verse 12 of chapter 8 is that if you are kind of subscribing to the thought that this last passage we looked at last week isn't original to John, then you might consider that verse 12 picks up where verse 39 ended of chapter 7, okay? So just in case you want to kind of continue that line of thought. Now, there's arguments to be made on both sides, whether this kind of flows naturally from the uh, matter of the woman caught in adultery, or if it better is kept along with what Jesus was teaching prior to. Um, We're not going to spend a whole lot of time anymore on that, but just a thought as we come to verse 12 of chapter 8. So if you would please follow along with me, this is going to be the most important thing we do today reading God's word and receiving it together. Verse 12 of chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, My testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Father, as we think this morning on your word, we are met with the increasingly important issue to face of whether we know you. 
And Lord, we might not have asked ourselves that this past week or month, maybe even this whole 2022. This is clearly what you are revealing in your word this morning. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot understand it. Lord, apart from Jesus, we are left with nothing but darkened hearts that cannot know you. We are like the Pharisees to whom Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father, because if you knew me, you would know my father. Lord, we praise you this morning. Those of us who have faith in Christ can be assured that we know you. We can be assured that light has shone and cast out the darkness of our hearts. Father, we still struggle. We still look to the ways of this world and the darkness of this world to try to figure things out, to try to understand, to try to find comfort and peace and hope. Lord, may we this morning be ever more encouraged to cling to the light of life that has been given us in Christ. We ask that your spirit would grant help to us now as we try to understand your passage and that Christ would be magnified as he is worthy. We pray in his, in his name. Amen. The title this morning can be nothing else but the light of the world. This is a remarkable statement that Jesus makes in the beginning of our passage. And it is worthy of your downward glance over and over as we consider these words. In verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you hear the call of scripture this morning in Jesus' words? What is it that he's calling you to do? He's calling you to follow the light. He's calling you to have the light of life. Praise God that our gospel this morning, as it is every moment of every day, is not a good news that there's a way for you now to reach out to God and to discover something on your own. There's a way now for you to discover your inner light that you are worthy of, that you have produced on your own. The good news of Jesus is follow me. I am the light of the world. And in following him, we have the light of life. So the call could be nothing else but for us to do just that, to follow the light of the world and to know that it is the only way to escape the darkness of the world around us. It's fascinating because as he uses this illustration of light and he is separating himself in this way, he's not, he's not including anyone else. Now, interestingly, in the other gospels, he will include, he will include his, his church in that, right? He will at one point say, I am the light of the world, and then say, now you are the light of the world. And when John says his telling of this in verse 12, he doesn't contradict that. Because you notice the identity of Christ and the identity of his people. Those who follow the light of the world have the light of life. And so it's completely consistent when in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when we read that we are the light of the world, that, that the authors, the apostles are not confused about this at all. But also in this matter of Jesus being the light of the world, he sets in stark contrast everything else apart from him and basically calls it darkness. Jesus doesn't say, I have the light of the world, or I have access to the light of the world, or I am a light of the world. This is a definitive statement about who Jesus is, the light of the world, and that only through him can we escape the darkness of the world and find a vibrant eternal life in him. 
This is a great illustration, as has been the matter of water as well. That Jesus offers to those people to take a drink of living water. The water that will satisfy them forever. And as he says way back in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, that the person who drinks from the water that he will give will never be thirsty again. That as we follow the light of the world, we find a satisfaction that never ends. And that when we sense dissatisfaction, what we are truly experiencing is taking our eyes off of that light and looking elsewhere. And so, boy, it's, it's very interesting that there's so much time and so much effort spent on trying to figure out what our problem is in life, right? What is it that's really getting me down? Why am I so depressed? And the truth is there are biological things to address, right? But so much of and the root of our true problem is whether we believe the light of the world or not. Whether we have come to say, I need to follow this light because there is no other light but in him. And when you think about light in your everyday life, though, because all of that is very spiritual sounding. When you think about light right now, and you think about the lights shining above your heads that are fairly new, that are lighting this room better than they have in the past, better than other lights have in the past, I should say. It's not something that you typically come in and enjoy actively, right? When, when the lights came in, we all came in on that next Sunday morning and went, wow. What a difference. This is great. And maybe even during that, the sermon that Sunday, we were just staring up and going, wow, this is really a difference. But did anybody have that thought this morning when they came in? Did you stop as you came in and go, there's those lights. Love those lights. Right? Light is something that we take for granted, something that we're used to, and something that we only really actively think about when there's a problem with or complete absence of light. We use light for direction. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this problem when you were learning to drive. This is an embarrassing story. So if nothing else, just, just acknowledge my great humility in this. Um, <laughs> but when I learned how to drive, I had a 1994 Ford Tempo with a bumper that was attached with duct tape. And I remember one of the first times I drove that car, I had completely forgotten how to turn the lights on, the headlights and there, it was a little weird. There was like a pull lever and you had to turn it and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe you can be compassionate in your thoughts about this. This guy doesn't know how to turn his headlights on. But I remember turning on my, I don't know what you call it, the overhead light in your, inside your car. Dome. Turn, the dome light, thank you. <laughs> turning the dome light on and driving 20 minutes home in absolute darkness. And I thought I was going to die, like for real. And I thought the person with me was going to die too. <laughs> It was, it was a terrifying thing. And then, of course, I came home and went, oh, look, there's that pull lever thing. We don't notice light until we don't have it, until it's absent or something's broken and not working with it. We need light for direction to get one place or another. We need light for discovery. You need lights right now so that you can look down and read the Bible or, or even look at your phone. Like, you know, if you turn your brightness all the way down on your phone and, and try to look at it with other light shining, you can't see it at all. Light is so, so necessary to our everyday life in so many little ways that we don't consider. But when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, he's talking to people who are at the Feast of Booths. Do you remember? This was a feast that reminded Israel of their wanderings in the desert before coming to the Promised Land. And when Jesus spoke about living water, he was comparing himself to the rock that Moses struck and that water burst forth and 
and satisfy the needs of God's people. And so now when he says he's the light of the world, he's talking to a group of people who have been celebrating all week long and all night long too, and at night you needed lights. In research, I found a fascinating thing that um, every night these four giant lampstands, most likely in the court of the women of the temple, if you're not sure about that, you can look in your study Bible or whatever. We don't have a whole lot of time to break down the temple structure. In fact, this is a good plug for Sunday school because that's the kind of stuff we did in Sunday school. Um, Tim and Ross did one a year ago or so that kind of helped us understand the layout of the temple. So I don't feel that bad in not going into it anymore. Um, But they would light these four golden lampstands in the court of the women. And it was said that those lampstands in the temple would light up the whole city of Jerusalem. Like if you didn't want to party and obey God, you had to anyway, because you couldn't sleep. The light was coming in through your windows. Everybody knew it was the festival of the booths, right? The feast of the booths. And so when Jesus comes into this moment in his sermon, in his teaching, he's talking to a bunch of people who are remembering this bright light. And he's saying, you think that's impressive? You think it's impressive that these golden lampstands can light up the whole city of Jerusalem? I'm telling you, I am the light of the world. That his reach goes far beyond just the matter of one city but that there is one true source of real spiritual light and life, and it is Christ. You cannot say, and I know I've said this before, but the Gospel of John demands that we remind ourselves that you cannot say Jesus never claimed to be equal with God. When he says, I'm the light of the world, he's not just putting something that you can put in a greeting card 2,000 years later. He is saying something that is dramatically impacting to his identity and the people around him's understanding. How is it that Jesus could say that he is the source of the light of the world and not turn that into an equation of deity, of being divine, of being equal with God the Father? And we see that Jesus talks about the Father in this passage quite a bit. Christ's declaration of being the light of the world is a matter of equality with the Father and obedience to the Father. Look ahead one more time. I want to set this up before we continue again. In verse 26, after this whole matter of judgment, and you know this, this is one of those great passages that, that liberal mindsets might like to uh, warp. In verse 15, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. See, God doesn't, Jesus himself doesn't even judge anyone. This is why it's so dangerous to take Scripture out of context, right? That's why you're going to read the whole thing. And see, he says that in 15, but then in 26, he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge. There's a lot of judgment that Christ is going to dish out. But when he came 2,000 years ago, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. I came to save it. I came to proclaim the gospel. And that's the mission, verse 26. He who sent me is true. And I, what am I going to do? Am I just here to judge and tell everybody how great I am and how terrible they are? No, I do whatever the Father tells me to do. I do the things that are pleasing to him in verse 29, he says. I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Man, if you could pick up your phone right now and see a little notification that says you got a text message from God, you would think that was a joke. Or that somebody hacked your phone and went into your context and named themselves God and thought they were all that important. But if there was a real way that you could hear directly from God, would you not put significance and importance on that? And yet here you all are, us ordinary people, 
sitting with a printed version of God's message to us because of what Jesus has done, because he is the light of the world. And because being the light of the world, he did not find it just a, a matter of being content with a small portion of the world, but the whole world. The gospel has gone out nearly everywhere. And yet, we find that a problem still persists that apart from this light, we are alone and lost in the darkness of this world. You know, people love, and we know this, because you know what people are like in real life that you have relationships with, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. You know when you go up to speak to somebody, I, need, I can talk about this, I can talk about that, but I really can't talk about that. You know the gentle people in your life who will hear you out and who will perhaps engage with you in conversation over topics. You know the people who are not so gentle, who might say something really rough that you say, oh, I kind of want to avoid that person, you know, after a night of a big election or some, a State of the Union address or something like that. I don't know if I want to talk to that person. We have those kind of gauges in real life face-to-face -face conversation, but when we get online, it's everything's out the door, isn't it? The digital age has shown us that our hearts, when given the opportunity, will not attach themselves so quickly to light, but will plunge even further in darkness. Because when the lights are on and you're talking with somebody face-to-face, -face, you realize that's another real person who has real thoughts about what I have to say. But when you're online, you can say whatever you want, can't you? And so many people do. I know not you guys don't, right? But the culture that we live in has completely rejected face-to-face -face communication and relationship. And I thought about not saying completely because that sounds harsh, but I want to be harsh, right? Because we prefer hiding in the darkness. That's the state of our hearts. John 1 tells us this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. I think the King James says could not comprehend it. I don't get Jesus. I don't want anything to do with him. I want to hide in the darkness. Back where I can say whatever it is that I want to. And act like that's normal life. That's how things should be. But the truth is, is that we are alone. We are without God. We are lost. We, are, we, we cannot see what we're doing. I thought about um, echolocation this past week and kind of living in darkness. And so I did like a two-second Google search on bats because I couldn't totally remember what echolocation was. I, I knew I should know what it was. But basically, echolocation, bats use this. They use sound waves to determine the size, the shape, and even the texture of things around them. Isn't that incredible? How much do you rely on your eyes, your sense of sight, your sense of smell and hearing and, and even touch to understand the world around you? And yet bats can just use sound and say, oh, I get what that thing is that's coming near me or that I'm coming closer to. Like, why is it that bats who don't use sight at all in the middle of the night don't just fly straight into trees constantly? Because God so designed them with this incredible thing called echolocation so that they can function at nighttime. People do not have echolocation, do we? We were not made, we were not designed in the image of God to live in darkness. Darkness is going to kill us. Sin is going to kill us. We are going to run into every tree because we cannot see it coming. And that's what the Pharisees and the crowds do yet again in this. And, uh, you know, we're, we're taking this idea of the light of the world and we're going to kind of shine it on 
the conversation here that Jesus has to see that really these people are lost and alone in darkness. And, and they're going to have three things that they're going to shout out of the dark, and they're going to show us three symptoms of living in the dark. So if they're helpful for you, follow along. First in verses 13 through 18, this first part of their rebuttal to Jesus, which, which so often it seems that Jesus says something really profound and, and the crowds around him really don't get it, so they kind of change the subject. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and he was talking about living water? And she goes, yeah, but where should we worship? Is it on this mountain or that mountain? She changes the subject. That's kind of what's going on here yet again. He says, I'm the light of the world. They say, oh, you're bearing witness about yourself. We can't believe your testimony. They immediately assume because they don't understand the light of the world that this person must be lying. Do you remember the whole C.S. Lewis thing again we've been talking about the last few weeks? That Jesus can either be a Lord, the Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. They took him in this moment to be a liar. And it excused them, didn't it? Really quickly. If I can just convince myself that what Jesus has to say to me is a false testimony, man, I'm free, right? I'm free to roam the darkness however I want. Because this person who thinks he's the light of the world has nothing to share or give me. Jesus' response to that is fascinating. Because he says, even if I do bear witness about myself, in verse 14, my testimony is true. I know where I came from, I know where I'm going, but you don't know anything about me. You judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. Yet even if I judge, my judgment is true. It's not I alone, but I am the Father who sent me. And then verse 17, very interesting. He says, in your law, it is written the testimony of two people is true in your law. It's kind of interesting because we usually hear it, see the law and we see it called the law of Moses or the law of God. Jesus doesn't, in this sentence, he doesn't kind of lay claim to it and say like, hey, this is the law that I gave you. You know, I'm equal with God. I'm, I'm divine myself. He says your law as though he's putting the emphasis on the fact that those who are lost in darkness don't have an excuse for it, do they? They're lost in darkness because they have a limited sense of judgment. They only have a human perception. Jesus says, you're judging according to the flesh, yet in your law, it says, the testimony of two people is true. Why can't you refer back to what I've told you to understand that I am indeed the light of the world? So the first shout is, God, you're lying. And the first symptom is darkness of sin leaves us with limited human judgment. Then in verses 19 through 20, and kind of rehashed in 25 through 27, we see the crowd say, okay, you're talking a lot about the father here. So let's, your father, that is. Who is your father? Where is your father more pertinently? They're not just saying, like, tell me the identity. You've spoken a lot about him. Where is he? Now, in your own Christian life, have you ever had that thought, where is God? Have you ever asked yourself that? Have people around you asked, where is God in this whole Russia-Ukraine thing? Where is God in the whole COVID thing? Where is God in my own life? That is a symptom of the darkness, isn't it? Of not being able to see God. Because our, our right biblical answer should be, well, hey, God is everywhere all the time. He's not absent from anything. He is always engaged and actively working to make all things work together for his plan. Even the things that seem contrary to it. But the heart that says, where is your father to Jesus? Or where is God? Is a heart that has been so corrupted by the darkness that it turns entirely from relating to God. Again, these were the people who were supposed to be the caretakers of the word of God. And they had asked him, like, okay, 
Where's your father? Bring him here so that we can know what you're saying is really true. You're saying he's a witness to who you are. Let him bear witness. And Jesus is like, he has been bearing witness. Not just through the signs and wonders, but through the truth of the words I'm speaking to you. Because when Jesus came, he didn't come to proclaim himself. He came to proclaim the Father. He came to reveal the Father to us, to exegete the Father, to explain who the Father truly is so that we might be brought back and not lost in our broken relationship with God because of our rebellion. In verses 25 through 27, we see the same kind of problem yet again. Who are you? I mean, when God is standing before you and you say, who are you? You're saying, who is God? And just describing how lost in the darkness you really are. Bring me a witness when the witness is standing right in front of you. Lastly, in verses 21 through 24, in all of the confusion, Jesus again says in 21, I'm going away. You will seek me and you will die in your sins. He adds that part in. We didn't see that in chapter 7 that matter of dying in sin. But what we did see is, where I am going, you cannot come. And last time, do you remember what they said? Where, where could he go that we cannot follow him? What kind of place would we never want to go? Oh, I know, the Gentiles, all the non-Jewish people. That's gotta be what he's talking about, right? He says, he's going somewhere we can't follow. We would never go anywhere near those dogs. So it has to be the Gentiles. Well, clearly that wasn't the case, and this crowd now says, where is he going that we cannot follow? Is he going to kill himself? This last shout from the darkness reveals the symptom that because of darkness reigning in the heart, death is the only ultimate end. It's the only explanation. It's the only thing everybody is marching to nonstop whether they're working, whether they're playing, or they're sleeping. The time continues to roll on, and death is on the minds and hearts of every person, whether it's on the, in the back of their mind or the front of their mind. It's a real issue. It's the real destination of those who are lost in the darkness, who don't listen to what God has said, who have not, who've completely given up on trying to relate to God, and who, when God himself stands before them, they still go, who even are you? Jesus says, you will seek me, not in the sense that when he leaves from the cross, this whole crowd is going to be like, he was the Messiah, wasn't he? Now, we do know that at the cross, there was one guy. Well, there were a couple of guys, of course. There was the, the thief on the cross next to him, right? Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. There was also that Roman centurion who said, surely this man was the son of God, right? That's not what he's talking about here. What he's saying is that when I leave, you're going to keep looking for the Messiah, a tragedy. And it's the tragedy of so many people who, who want to faithfully follow God's law today, who want to be God's people and say, someday the Messiah is going to come and he's going to save us, right? He's going to make everything right. And, and we say, as the church, we say, the Messiah is coming, but you need to know about the first time he came because you missed him. That's what he's saying to this group right here. You're going to be looking for the Messiah, but the darkness of sin that has set you in a mindset of death means that when you actually see him, you won't recognize him. But when Christ returns again, everyone will recognize him. He's not going to come as a humble baby in a manger. He's going to come as a conquering king on a white horse in the clouds. And, and John tells us in the book of Revelation, we read not just this past month or uh, January, that every eye will see him. 
you're not going to be able to look up and be like, boy, I think Jesus is a good teacher. I, I like Jesus. I think he's an okay guy. I don't like the church. No, you're not going to be able to say those kinds of things when Jesus is standing right before you. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that confession for many who do not know Jesus prior to, that confession will not be a confession of faith. It will be a confession of regret. I was lost in the darkness, and only now do I see who the light of the world is, but it's too late. Their question of, is this man going to kill himself, reveals that the timeline of understanding who Jesus is as the light of the world has an end date. I don't like it when people say, hey, you don't need to make a decision about Jesus right now. Because you kind of do. How can you tell that to somebody who could very well keel over after the sentence is said? We don't know. We never know, right? We don't know when our next breath is our last breath. This is an urgent matter. So if you're here at Crosspoint right now and you don't know Jesus, you don't have time to think about it. You have time to decide and receive him or not. But church, you also need to consider these shouts and symptoms. That the darkness of sin leaves you with limited judgment. The darkness of sin turns you from relating to God. And the darkness of sin leaves you in a mindset of death. And when you see these things in your life, it's not that Christ has said, hey, listen, batteries out or, you know, the breaker tripped. The light's not working right now. Just hold on a second and then you'll start to understand things. No, if you find yourself lost in the darkness of sin, it's because you've stopped following the light. It's so funny because in movies, people are always, not always, but you know, you have those moments where the character is having an out-of-body experience or you know, something to that effect, and they say, I saw a light, and so his friends are like, don't follow the light, don't follow the light. In this case, you do need to follow the light. It is a life or death matter whether we follow the light or not. So where is your struggle today? Church, are you trusting your own judgment over what Christ has revealed? Perhaps there's a problem with the distance between you and God. Or maybe you're just lost in absolute hopelessness. And you wonder why you even came to church this morning. You wonder why you even got out of bed this morning. You wonder if it's all worth it. The darkness of this world is a real thing, and you've got to stop living like a bat. You don't have echolocation. You can't function in the darkness. You need to come to the light. And that's what God's word does to us, isn't it? It reminds us of the light that is shining and is still there and is never going to go out. When Jesus talks about dying in their sin, he's talking about the sin of unbelief. And you might have noticed that the singular changes to plural in his explanation. In 21, he says you'll die in your sin. But in 23, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The matter of sin singular here is a matter of unbelief. It's the root of all of our problems with darkness. Sin thrives in the darkness because it can offer you an imaginary veil that just like when you're online, you can say whatever you want. Change your profile picture, write your name as somebody else, and you are free to do whatever you want with no consequences. That's what sin tries to convince us of, an imaginary veil. It makes it too easy for us to act in the darkness as though we have echolocations, but truly, the result is death. And that death is still, in one sense, going to come to the believer in this regard. 
that as we find ourselves with these symptoms of the darkness, either trusting our own judgment or a matter of distance between us and God or just a simple matter of hopelessness, that we will require some dying to ourselves in order to get rid of it. Because our pride wants us to say, you know what, it's going to be a little bit humiliating if I have to confess this to somebody. I can confess it in prayer because I don't really believe God listens to that anyway. But don't make me confess it to another real human being because they might actually believe me. We need to deal with the darkness in our hearts. And we need to do so with hope because, again, the light is shining brightly and offering a vibrant, eternal light for all who will believe. And that, sh that light shone no brighter than it did at the cross. Because at the cross, the light shone the brightest and brought believers to God. Your moment of salvation, yeah, you experienced it when you believed. But if you're in Christ, the moment that it was guaranteed was the moment that Jesus said, it is finished. The moment that your salvation was secured and perfect and immovable and full of abounding hope was when Jesus says, it is finished. Jesus came, and in contrast to those who were lost in the darkness, he offers to lead people out of it. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life, will not walk in darkness. Continual work from salvation to glorification. We see that continual work of Christ because he continues to lead us out of darkness as we wander back into it. Jesus can do this because he's not of the world. Verse 23, he's the source of light. He's outside. Hey, did you notice Thursday night there was a full moon? And as I was closing up the house and making sure doors were locked and lights were off and all that kind of stuff, I started to notice, like, boy, the backyard is really bright. Did we leave something on out there. And I looked out this window. I went to the other side of the house, looked out. And I can, it's the moon. It was bright Thursday night. It had to be something outside of my own living place that could create such a vibrant light on my backyard. Christ is the source of light and life for us that is outside of ourselves. We cannot just find that inner light that will finally satisfy us and give us everything we need, and, and Jesus just needs to activate it. No, he needs to put that light there in the first place. Jesus brings the truth as he testifies in 14, 17, and 26 that this is his mission, to bring the truth of his Father to the world. Darkness loves lies. It can co cover lies in that imaginary veil. Jesus brings the truth. And then amazingly, in verse 31, which we'll read next week, Lord willing, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Darkness promises freedom behind the imaginary veil. Christ guarantees freedom in his broken body on your behalf. And that sacrifice that he made at the cross was acceptable because he obeyed the Father and because he does, look at this in verse 29, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. This light of the world lays down his life in obedience to Jesus. He doesn't kill himself. He lays his life down to be killed by another, to be killed by our sin. We are the ones with the hammer and nail in our hands. We are the ones who have offended God, who have deserved death. And at the moment that there was opportunity to remove that light from shining on us and uncovering our darkness, apart from him, we would want nothing else but then to remove that light from our lives. 
At the cross, God brought justice for all the darkness of the sin of his people. And the wrath against that darkness fell on Jesus instead of on you. If you have nothing else to be happy about this morning, you can be happy about that. In not too long a time, we'll celebrate Good Friday. And I read a, a car cartoon comic strip recently that had two guys talking on a hill, and they said, why is it called Good Friday? And doesn't it seem bad? And why do we call it good? And having that conversation, and the guy says, because the best thing that ever happened in my life happened on that day. It was a terrible thing, but it was a good thing. It was a necessary thing. It was the only thing that could bring me out of darkness and into the light of life. The cross was the definitive work of Christ by which every person will one day be judged. As he said in verse 26, I have a lot to say and a lot to judge about you. And on that final day, if that judgment is not dealt with on the cross for your sins, he's going to deal with your judgment then. You will have to deal with it for rejecting the light of life, for rejecting his great love, for rejecting all that he's done for you, shining the light of life in your life. If anyone comes to faith in Jesus, it will be for seeing him at the cross. We need that for our testimony, church. We cannot let our gospel message be void of the cross. You cannot go up to someone and say, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because if you hadn't, you really should. What does that mean to anyone? Unless we know that we have a debt to be paid, do not leave the cross out of your gospel presentation. Because without it, we have no sanctuary. We have no place of refuge or no place of safety. Christ died for our sin of unbelief, the root of all the things that were done in the darkness of this world. One day, because of his death and resurrection, though, light will reign perfectly over all darkness and sin, over all unbelief. There will be no... Un this is going to sound like a silly, basic theological statement, but let it sink in. In eternity, when the kingdom of Christ comes fully, there will be no unbelief. You will never have a moment when you doubt God. Faith will be perfected because you will be there with him. And the book of Revelation is very clear. It says there's not going to be any night anymore. There's not going to be a sun. There's not going to be a moon because the light of God will light the whole world. It's Psalm 27, as we read at the beginning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. That will be fulfilled when he returns. We need to repent of our darkness and we need to do it now. We need to be ready because that day could come at any point. We need to follow the light so that we can share in that vibrant life of Christ. Because that light shines in the darkness, we have Christ. Look at verse 12 one more time for me. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is the light of life? Who is the light of life? Jesus. So what will you have for following Jesus? You'll have him. No king, no president, no other authoritative person in your life offers themselves to you. That's why when we look at what marriage is all about, we look back to the, to the gospel. We look back to what Christ has done. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and lays his life down for her, gives himself for her. We have Christ because the light of life has shone in our hearts. and He will never leave us or forsake us. The Father is also pleased with us, just as Christ, just as he was pleased with everything that Jesus did because Jesus always obeyed. We don't always obey. But at the end of your race, when you see God face to face, he will be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And we should all, at least in part of our hearts, say, hold on. <laughs> what are you talking about? 
I mean, I know all this theologically, but I know in here, I did not do that good of a job. I don't deserve the joy of my master, but Jesus does, and he's sharing it with you. We too are no longer of this world, but belong above with Jesus. You are from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. But if the light is so shined and we shined on our hearts and we have the light of life, then we are also from above and no longer of this world. We don't belong in the darkness. Because of unbelief, the people he spoke to couldn't come with him, but we can. Believers will come later. Uh, back to the Father in John 13, 36, Jesus promises this to his disciples. He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And they're probably thinking, oh no, we heard this before. We're going to die in our sin. He says, no, you will come afterward. You will follow afterward. I'm going by myself at first, but when I'm going to come back, I'm bringing you with me. Until then, the church is meant to shine the light of Christ to those who need to find sanctuary in him. And you know those people. You know those people who need sanctuary in Christ. And it may be your testimony to the light that brings them into the life of Christ. Matthew 5, 14, as we said, you are the light of the world, Jesus tells his church. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. If you're walking in light, everybody knows it. You can conceal your sin. We're pretty good at missing that sometimes. But if you're walking in the light, it's obvious, it's clear. So encourage your heart. Our memory verse on our prayer calendar this month is 1 Peter 2.9. I'm not going to pretend like I can get it perfectly, so I'm going to read it. Be encouraged, church, because you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What would it look like for the light of Christ to shine completely in your life today? If you need time to pray about that, no one ever sits in this row. And if you came up and sat here, the elders would know that you wanted somebody to talk to them about, to talk to you about the light of Christ in whatever way that is, whether you don't know Jesus at all, whether you just get that sense that I need to have that light restored in my own life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father, this morning we thank you that the light of life is free, that is given to us because of the sacrifice of another, that as we wait for that great day, great and terrible day, it will be great for those who know you, it will be terrifying for those who do not. Lord, may we call others to the sanctuary of the light of the world so that they might find refuge and peace and joy and satisfaction, and most importantly, that they might have Jesus, the light of life. Would you help us now as we sing our last song to proclaim your goodness, to proclaim to the world that we have one hope in life and death and no other. We thank you for your son. We pray this all in his name. Amen.